Your news programme every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. The time is nearly 7.40. Let us suppose now that one day a helicopter flies over and drops an additional $1,000, or in our case, 1 million won in bills from the sky. And let us suppose further that everyone is convinced that this is a unique event which will never be repeated. The words there, without the one reference, of American economist Milton Friedman in his essay, The Optimum Quantity of Money in 1969, and is uh, being used now as a realistic suggestion to provide helicopter money as uh, an antidote to deflationary pressures and some of the other economic challenges we're facing. And economists today are increasingly finding this idea appealing. Let's bring in David Merkel, owner of Aleph Investments, an equity asset management firm, who is, I understand, against the idea of helicopter money. Good morning to you. Yes, I am, Alex. And uh, you said the important thing there. If someone really said that it was going to be one time, it could work. But that's the thing. Governments, when they find something that seems to work, they don't tend to stop at one time. They say, hey, this is working pretty nicely, and guess what? We, um, uh, let's, let's see what happens if we go on with this. So what's the problem? It becomes too much like a handout for, for all of us if it's a regular thing? Well, the handout part of it isn't, isn't the part that, that kills us. It is the fact that your currency becomes worth less and worth a little less. Um, I've got a good book that I, I'd recommend to the listeners by Peter Bernholtz called Monetary Regimes and Inflation. I used to keep this one in my bedroom, but now I keep it in my office because I get enough questions on this. If you, in order to get, um, in order to really get some sort of high inflation level, um, you need to basically have the government run deficits and then try to finance them using monetary money printing. Um, almost all of the major hyperinflations have occurred that way. If and it's and. As far as I'm aware, no hyperinflations have occurred without a government resorting to using the printing press to finance um, its operations. Mm. So that's the, you know, if you were sure that this could only be one-time thing, and the government decided let's let's not try this again, um, but if they decided to try it again and again, well, that is the road to hyperinflation, and that's why I'm against it. Speaking as an ordinary person, though, uh, if you were sitting in your living room and a helicopter was to uh, figuratively <laughs> come over and give you this cash, presumably you wouldn't mind too much. No, no. I've, I've written a few posts that the helicopter of happiness has not flown here yet. Um, and we've actually seen things like this happen in America where a Brinks truck will all of a sudden crash, roll, and money will fly out. And sure enough, People go and grab the money, and uh, they go out and spend it. Uh, the local economy will note that a lot of cash transactions go on. So if you had the same thing happen on a wide scale, I mean, the, the U.S. government has done things like this on a small scale where they would basically hand out rebate checks, um, but they've never resorted to financing them through 
uh, monetary printing. They've always basically financed it through their ordinary running of deficits. Um, well, we might have to convince the people here to accept the money. As a contrast, we recently had a case where thousands of dollars worth of money were dropped in the middle of central Seoul and and nobody picked it up. But that's uh, partly attributable to uh, the local law regarding personal property. But still, uh, it's quite an amazing scenario. What's the difference, though, seriously, between this kind of idea, which sounds so appealing to the ordinary person, and the slightly more complex monetary measures available to the government which would still have or sorry to central banks which would still have the effect of weakening currency like lowering the interest rate right i mean you can you can pursue a zero interest rate policy or a negative interest rate policy and you will have an impact on the the government bond markets and and the higher level investment grade bond markets um and, you know, that will provide a little bit of boost to the economy, but, I mean, the amount that truly trickles through from improving the borrowing rate of the government and corporations doesn't really end up getting to people's pockets that directly or rapidly. It just makes companies a little more willing to lever up, and that's that's really the high end of the economy. It doesn't get down to the average person. Yes. The same thing applies to quantitative easing. Um, in the sense that um, the the Federal Reserve or uh, Bank of Japan or uh, European Central Bank can um, basically create all the credit that they they want to, but most of it just stays locked in the banking system. And unless, for some reason, the banks begin to feel that the economy is getting strong enough that they want to lend aggressively against it, it doesn't really, it hasn't really amounted to much. Um, And... I, I was listening um, to your prior segment, mm. and it, it is, um, how would I say it? Um, it, it would be really unusual to see a lot of confidence come into the economy when um, you're using water, you know, at least as far as, you know, go back prior to five years ago, um, monetary measures that no one would have ever dreamed of. Um, it's not exactly the thing that engenders confidence. But, but what you said there is one of the instinctive arguments for helicopter money because for, for many of us it goes over oh, yeah. our head, investor sentiment being at the yeah. mercy of bond purchases and uh, even interest rates which you know can be passed on to us more directly. But still... If we knew it was only going to happen once, great. Let's mm. do it. Um, but what but if it was just a... A sporadic thing, because because it would it would directly affect all of us. We could all have a bit more of a say in the economy. <laughs> well, it would definitely democratize monetary policy, um, <laughs> and it would give people an interest in their central bank in certain ways. Uh, the, 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 but then again, the risk is because then you're actually affecting real distribution of resources. I mean, all these other things that the Federal Reserve has done. Um, don't really affect that. It might affect some internal workings among banks, and uh, if you go to and, and and occasionally borrowing rates for well, not occasionally, but borrowing rates for high quality corporations. But if it actually did affect what people go out and buy, you would begin to find resource shortages, and those would begin to affect inflation. Mm. Um, and if you did it enough, 
um, it could get to the point where people begin to develop a mentality that, hey, I got to move a little faster with my money because prices are beginning to move up a little more than they used to. And it, it, in, in a case like this, the more you hand it to average individuals, it, it will affect the prices that average individuals pay for things like food, um, uh, not so much clothing, that's pretty hard to inflate, but energy, um, yeah, who, who could tell? And, but yeah. yes, it would, it would benefit some people in the short run, and, but again, the danger is, do you want to open up the risk of hyperinflation? We, we've, that's the only reason I object. We've had a conversation of this nature when it comes to social welfare before. What about a, a policy like this targeting vulnerable groups in particular? Uh, or, or does that run counter because uh, obviously you, you wouldn't want them necessarily to spend all that money? Well, honestly, we had the same problem with the bailouts, which back when I was blogging back then, um, I, I opposed the bailouts, and a lot of it was over the fact that it was favoritism to the wealthy in the United States. This would be favoritism to the not wealthy, and, you know, honestly, <laughs> um, it, it would be, I mean, if you want to lose a certain amount of legitimacy in the eyes of some groups, then let your monetary policy play favorites. Though, you know, honestly, given what you know, quantitative easing. I had the chance to ask Ron Paul um, the question at a Cato Institute seminar whether uh, quantitative easing favored the rich over the poor. And his answer was, with, you didn't miss a beat. He said, of course it does. What do you think? And, mm. um, and because, you know, it, it, it leads to some amount of inflation of commodity-type things, which poorer people tend to spend more for, uh, whereas wealthy people, I mean, their asset values get inflated. Um, they, and there isn't that much of a wealth effect. So if asset values go up, there's not that much additional spending that goes on. Um, uh, so anyway. Yeah, well, David Merkel, thank you so much for bringing into uh, the everyday domain for us this quite complex issue of the policy tools available to central banks and governments. Great to have you on the line. Hey, great. Thanks for inviting me. Our pleasure. David Merkel from Aleph Investments. You can email your thoughts right now at efmthismorning at gmail.com or text us pound or sharp 1013 for 51 per message. It almost draws on the kinds of debates we've been having about money handouts to young people in Seoul, the controversy that the Seoul government's attracted for that. But how about money for everybody? What would you do with that? You can find us on Kakar Talk, search us TBS EFM via Plus Friend.